Well, we're continuing our exploration of the Ten Commandments, and we're looking today at commandment number five or commandment number six or commandment number eight, depending on how you number them. Uh, the commandments, the prohibition against murder. And I wish that I could tell you that this was going to be an easy one, but I'm afraid I can't do that. This is going to be a hard one, and you're going to have to stay with me. This commandment seems pretty straightforward. In fact, it may even sound a bit like a no-brainer compared with some of the other commandments that we've been exploring. This one probably sounds relatively easy. We may struggle with keeping the Sabbath. We may trip up from time to time in our efforts not to invoke the name of the Lord in vain. We may not always feel like honoring our father and our mother, but I'm guessing that it's safe to say that most of us probably assume that we're not going to accidentally slip up and murder someone. In fact, we may even feel so confident in that that we're getting a bit of a break here. Thou shalt not murder. Easy. Check. That's one commandment I don't have to worry about. And besides, doesn't everyone pretty much recognize that murder is wrong? You don't even have to be religious to understand that one. Over the centuries and across cultures, don't most human beings intuitively recognize this is something you just don't do. Murder is wrong. Everybody gets that. No problem. And yet, God has to tell us, you shall not murder. Now, I wish I could tell you that that is an easy one, but unfortunately I can't. And I'm going to need you to stay with me because there is something here that's going to be very hard to hear. But it's essential that we hear it because there is something here that not only clarifies the kind of people that God wants us to be, there is something here that clarifies the kind of people we actually are. And the best way that I know to begin unpacking everything this story has to tell us is to tell you a story. This is a true story. Happened only 60 years ago. Some of you may remember this. In the early summer of 1961, a court convened in Jerusalem. And the person on trial was Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann had been a high-ranking Nazi SS officer and was one of the architects of Hitler's final solution. And one of the witnesses that was called by the prosecution to testify against Eichmann was a Jewish writer named Yehiel Denur. When he was 34 years old, Denur and his whole family was sent to the concentration camp at Auschwitz, where he was imprisoned for two years until the camp was liberated by the Soviet Red Army. Denur's entire family died in the camps. And after the war, Denur wrote several books based on his experience at Auschwitz, but he used a pseudonym. Denur wrote under the name Katsetnik, 135-633. Katsetnik means camp prisoner, and 135-633 was the number by which Denur had been identified during his time at Auschwitz. And until Eichmann's trial, nobody knew that the pseudonymous author, Katsetnik, was really Denur. 
Dunur's testimony took place during the second month of Eichmann's trial. Dunur entered a packed courtroom and took the witness stand immediately facing Eichmann. And he was asked by the prosecution to identify himself, and Dunur spoke briefly about the reasons that he used Katsetnik when publishing his books. And then the prosecution started to ask Dunur about his experience at Auschwitz. Suddenly, Dunur stood up and left the witness stand. He took a few steps and he collapsed. Attempts to revive him failed. He was taken out of the court on a stretcher and the trial resumed. But Dunur did not return to the witness stand. Now Eichmann's trial went on for two more months and in the end he was convicted and they put him to death by hanging. He was executed in May 1962 at 56 years of age. Dunur lived for another 40 years and he would eventually publish 13 books, all of which drew on his experience in the camps. He died just 20 years ago in 2001. This week, as a matter of fact, July 17. Now, many years after Eichmann's trial, Dunur was interviewed for a report that was aired on 60 Minutes. And when he was asked why he had collapsed that day in the courtroom, Dunur explained that he was overcome by being in Eichmann's presence. And what was so overwhelming was not that Eichmann appeared to be evil, but that Eichmann looked so ordinary. He appeared to be a person just like everyone else. Dunur told the interviewer, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable of doing this exactly like he did. Eichmann is in all of us. And at the end of the 60-minute segment, Mike Wallace faced the camera and asked, how is it possible for a man to act as Eichmann acted? Was he a monster? Was he a madman? Or was he perhaps something even more terrifying? Was he normal? Eichmann is in all of us. And so God has to tell us, you shall not murder. Now this is hard because this commandment not only tells us the kind of people God wants us to be, it also reveals perhaps as no other commandment does, the kind of people we actually are. And what this commandment shows us about ourselves is not something we want to see. But don't worry, it gets worse. Jesus comes along and raises the bar. You have heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you are angry, you will be liable to judgment. You have heard it said, let the punishment fit the crime, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If someone strikes you on the right, offer them the left as well. You have heard it said, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Do good to your enemy. Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
And in saying this, Jesus shows us both the kind of people that God wants us to be, as well as the kind of people that we actually are. Now, our temptation at this point is to fall back to ethics. <laughs> what I mean by that is that our tendency is to begin parsing these difficult and challenging words until they're not quite so hard to hear. We begin qualifying these words. We begin contextualizing these words. We make increasingly subtle distinctions, all in an effort to get these words to say something other than what they actually say. But we need to recognize that our impulse to engage in sophisticated and nuanced ethical reasoning can be an attempt to avoid what these words have to say to us. When we hear these words, when we allow them to reveal to us all that they have to say about the kind of people God wants us to be and all that they have to say about the kind of people we actually are, then we begin to hear something rather different. Then we find that the primary thing this commandment has to offer is not a word of judgment, but rather a word of mercy and love. Because what these words tell us, both the words of the original commandment and the words of Jesus, are that we are made in the image of the one whose life and whose character is love. We are commanded not to murder, not because life is sacred, but because God is sacred. And because God has blessed us as the ones who are designated to bear the divine image, we have been made sacred. Murder defiles both the one who is murdered and the one who murders. The divine image in both of them is desecrated and defaced. The commandment against murder shows us that we are people who are willing to damage ourselves and one another. But at a deeper level, the commandment shows us the kind of behavior that God would have those who bear his image show forth in the world. Let me go back for just a moment to those hard words that we heard from Jesus. Do not be angry, do not resist an evildoer, love your enemy. Jesus doesn't start there. Before he speaks those words to his disciples, Jesus tells them something even more fundamental. He says, you are the children of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Before he tells them how they are to live, Jesus tells them who they are. And what he tells them is that they are the ones whom God has seen fit to bear his image. The image of one whose life is love and who is himself love. We usually hear the Ten Commandments as prohibitions. Don't do this, don't do that. And there is, to be sure, a negative dimension to those injunctions. But at a deeper level, the commandments, all of them, are an invitation to be the kind of people that God made us to be, to be people whose lives are governed by the same mercy and the same power and the same love as the life of God himself 
to be people whose lives reflect the glory of God in the world. And when we hear these commandments, these words as an invitation, rather than as an injunction, then we realize that obedience to God's commandments is actually the key to real freedom. Obedience is not restrictive. Obedience is permissive. It's disobedience that traps us and binds us. No one enjoys greater liberty than God himself. And God has invited us to share in the freedom of the divine life. And the way we do that is by being the people that God has made us to be, people who bear the divine image. This is one way of describing what God accomplished in and through Jesus. Through his own perfect obedience, Jesus perfected our capacity to bear the divine image. And in so doing, opened to us a path of even greater freedom than we could possibly imagine. So there are some hard words for us in this commandment and in all these commandments. But if that is all that we hear, we will have missed the point. The word of judgment that these commandments speak depend on something much deeper and more fundamental, and that is a word of mercy and love. A love that will stop at nothing to secure our freedom. A love that will enable us to bear the image of the one who is himself the perfect image of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his freedom to which we are called this day and every day. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of bearing your image, the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would make us people who are faithful and responsive to the movement of your Spirit, that our lives would be a testimony to your honor and your glory. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen.